Welcome to History Books and Wine. We're your hosts, Lori Ann Bailey and Eliza Knight. We love sharing, so pour a glass of vino and let's dive into the past. Today, we're excited to have a guest joining us, Alina Adams. In this episode, we're going to talk about Biribijan, the world's first Jewish autonomous region, shining a light on the aspect of Jewish and Soviet history very few know anything about. Welcome, Alina. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Well, we're very excited to have you. So happy to have you here. Uh, Before we dive into this episode and hear about this region that no one uh, has really heard about before, we always like to talk about what we're drinking. So Alina, why don't you go first and tell us what you're having today? Well, I have sort of a double answer for you. Since it is the middle of the day, I'm drinking tea, which seems very stereotypically (laughs) Russian. But my drink of choice later in the day is vodka. But the irony is it doesn't come from my Soviet background. The fact is I... (laughs) grew up, when I grew up in the Soviet Union, later on as a Soviet immigrant to America, everyone around me who drank, drank a lot. So I didn't drink at all. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I met my American husband that I found out there was such a thing as drinking in moderation. (laughs) Either drank all the time or didn't drink a lot. So I like to say that my husband drove me to drink because (laughs) it was actually meeting him that I found out that I could have a little bit of vodka and it would be okay. So that's my (laughs) double answer to what am I drinking and what I will be drinking. I love that. That's awesome. What about you, Lori? So um, I am uh, kind of in a similar boat today. Uh, I am also having some tea. Uh, Mine is um, Tazo, I guess is the brand name. And it's just a wild orange. It's a caffeine free because I can't do caffeine in the afternoon. But tonight I'm going to have an old favorite, the Josh Cabernet Sauvignon. So I have that ready to go um, and open with dinner tonight. I'm also a double drinker today. I've got some water because I've got a little bit of like a throat thing going on. I think the seasonal changes always do something strange to my allergies. So there's that. But tonight I'm going to heal myself with an Elizabeth Spencer Cabernet Sauvignon. I've never had this one before, so I'm really looking forward to it. It says it's a special cuvee, and I love anything that says special. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so today we're going to chat about your book, My Mother's Secret. Can you start us off by telling our listeners what your book is about? Well, this book sort of has its roots in a previous book. In July of 2020, I had a book that came out that was called The Nesting Dolls, which took place in three different time periods. One took place in Odessa, USSR during the 1930s. Odessa is now part of the Ukraine. At the time, it was part of the Ukraine, but it was part of the USSR in the 1930s, which is during Stalin's Great Terror. The second part takes place in Odessa, USSR in the 1970s, which was during both Brezhnev's Great Stagnation and the Refusenik Movement, the Free Soviet Jewry Movement. And the modern day section takes place in present day Brighton Beach, Brooklyn, which is a very heavily Russian speaking, Russian Jewish area in New York. Mm -hmm. And the feedback I got from the nesting dolls was that people were most fascinated by the story that took place in the 1930s. Oh, Because what I heard from people was that 
For obvious reasons, most of European history in the 1930s and 1940s tends to focus on Western Europe. And people really had no idea what was going on in Eastern Europe. So when it came time to do my follow-up book, which turned into My Mother's Secret, a novel of the Jewish Autonomous Region, I decided that I would focus the bulk of the historical part would be focused on the 1930s. And then I went looking to see what would be an interesting setting. I was born in Odessa, USSR. My parents were born in Odessa. I had grandparents from Odessa. So the first book, that's where my roots were. Mm -hmm. And that's where I felt very strongly. But when I went looking for a second topic, um, I came upon a book by Masha Gessen. It's a nonfiction book called Where the Jews Aren't, mm. the sad, absurd story of Barabajan. And that became sort of the crux of what I built mm -hmm. my mother's secret around. The idea that people really didn't know what was going on in Eastern Europe in the 1930s. And they certainly didn't know that in the 1930s, that great friend of the Jews, Joseph Stalin announced that he would be the one to give Jews their own independent state, the first one in 5,000 years. Wow. Interesting. Mm. It is. So is your heroine Regina Solomonova? Did I say that correctly? Regina Solomonovna, and that's actually a patronymic because oh. that's not her last name. A patronymic, if you're speaking to someone in Russian and you want to be formal, mm -hmm. you don't say Miss so-and-so or Mr. So-and-so. You would use their first name and their father's name. Oh, okay. For a man, it would be Solomonovich. For um, a woman, it would be Solomonovna because Russian is a gendered language. So that's interesting. Hmm. Regina Solomonovna would be her first name and her patronymic. So oh. I realized that wasn't a question there, but I answered it. <laughs> I do love it. That's great. Thank you for <laughs> sharing that. No, that is great. So was Regina and any, maybe any of the other characters in the book based on a real person? And what inspired you to tell this story? Well, you know how in the beginning of every novel it says no characters in this book are, <laughs> yes. are based on anyone living or dead? Really, yeah. that's my story and I'm sticking <laughs> with it. But what Regina is, is a combination of lots of people I have known, lots of stories I have heard. For instance, my grandmother, I was not there, I cannot confirm this, but my grandmother insists that in the middle of World War II, she walked out onto a road and flagged down a tank to wow. take her where she wanted to go. Her, she, her husband was at the front, she wanted to go join him, and because she was so beautiful and charming, this is her version of events. She stepped <laughs> yeah. out onto the road, gracefully raised her hand as if she were looking for a cab, and a tank stopped by <laughs> where, because of her delightful personality, the soldiers took her where she needed to go. So there's little aspects like that. I was actually just telling someone the other day that historical fiction is the easiest genre to write in because it's already happened. You don't have to think up what happened. It's happened. Yeah. You don't have to be creative. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is you have to take what happened and then decide how someone would react to it. Mm -hmm. So character mm -hmm. Regina, I created from different bits and pieces, and then I just popped her into history. It's so easy. <laughs> I yeah. love that. And your grandmother sounds <laughs> like great. a really fascinating woman. <laughs> yes. She thought so. <laughs> Uh, can you give us the history behind Birabichin? 
By the end of this, we'll have this. Maybe it'll help you if you um. It's actually named Birabajan because it's between two rivers, the Biro River and the Bijan River. Oh, Biro so maybe if you think、oh. of it as two separate words, that that would make、mm-hmm. it easier for you. So it's it's Birabajan. So the history is basically this: after the Soviet Revolution. Um, a lot of people who had owned land in the past had their land taken away from them. They were, in fact, an entire class. They were kulaks, and they had their land taken away from them. Those who were not excited by the prospect were deported to Siberia. So land was taken away, and it was given to people who previously had not had land, which did. To give credit where credit is due, include Jews as well, who previously had not owned land. This did not make the people living around them particularly happy, and they expressed、mm-hmm. their unhappiness in actually very much the same way they had expressed their unhappiness prior to the Soviet Revolution. The methods was the same; the excuse for doing it was just different. Those of you who are familiar <laughs> with Fiddler on the Roof, you know how Act One ends. Like that. So what、yeah. happened was then a lot of Jews ended up moving into the cities. And there, a situation was created, which we have seen all over the world endlessly. Whenever displaced people move into somewhere else, it's their unskilled laborers, and they are competing for work with other unskilled laborers, the local unskilled laborers, and that creates a conflict. So, around 1926,、um, an edict was put out that said,、um, "We have noticed the increase of a highly sharpened anti-Jewish mood." And then the question was, what should we do about this? And after quite a bit of thought, by which we mean probably a few minutes, they came up with the solution. You know, what would stop anti-Semitism is if we had no Jews. So if we、mm-hmm. were to take all the Jews and move them somewhere else,、oh、anti-Semitism would be solved. Yay!、Uh, <laughs> I so, don't think that's that's. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, not going to solve anything. But that that <laughs> was the, the thought process. Oh my goodness! And so、mm-hmm. it was decided that a strip of land, Barabajan, is right on the border of Russia and China. Um, which also had its own ethnic population at the time. It had ethnic Koreans living there. It had Cossacks living there because after the revolution, the Cossacks running away from the Red Army went all the way east. Some of them even went as far as China, so they were in that area. So you have ethnic Koreans, you have Cossacks, and right across the border, you have ethnic Chinese who have、um, very vested interest in the area because they have poppy fields. Oh, why might poppy?、Uh. Be of value and contested. The secret word today is opium. So you have Chinese、mm-hmm. warlords not thrilled with the idea of new people coming in, and so that's where they were sent. Oh my goodness! So the background on that is it is the 1920s. The idea is we're going to fix anti-Semitism by getting rid of Jews, but of course it was presented as you will finally have a homeland of your own. Look, you haven't had a homeland of your own for 5,000 years. We are going to magnanimously give it to you. You will be able to have your own schools where you can teach your children in Yiddish. You will be able to have newspapers. You will be able to have culture, and most importantly, you will work the land. Because one of the biggest problems with Jews is they are too obsessed with money, and teaching them to、hmm. work the land will break them of their quote、What? hucksterism unquote. That's a that's a direct、uh, that's a direct line from one of the reasons why it was decided that Jews should be resettled on land and learn how to toil. Oh my goodness. 
Oh, that's that, awful. That uh, reminds me of... Um, <laughs> so we, um, uh, Eliza and I, have read Crime and Punishment <laughs> by Riskan... Risk- was yes. it Raskanikov or was that his character? It's the character. character. The character. Div- right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and, Did you oh. do that while drinking wine? Many times. Uh, no, but we should. <laughs> I, I was definitely drinking. Have. <laughs> and and um, and I'm not a no, huge fan of the book, book. <laughs> but because of the the stereotypes of the Jewish characters yes. that he puts in there. I mean, on top of just all the other problems in there, was I was terrible. not a fan. Very terrible. I hated yeah. it. So, I know. I said side see, note. Sorry. A sharply heightened anti-Jewish mood, yeah. which can be fixed yes. with the following solution. Some might call it not the final solution because you know branding, yeah. but still a solution. Oh my goodness. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, segueing into someone else who was into the final solution, part of your story takes place in a Nazi prisoner of war camp. What made you decide to add this element to the novel and what sort of research did it require? The idea came from, I don't know if you remember, there was a television channel, I think it went off the air about a year ago, called Decades, if you're familiar with it, where if for a history junkie, it is insane. Ooh, it was a cable channel. Hmm. And what they did was, along with airing reruns of various things, they had an original show called Through the Decades, where they would take whatever the day it was, mm-hmm. you know, November 15th. And they would go back through history and see what had happened on that day across the world. And I don't remember who they were owned owned by, either NBC or CBS, but whoever it was, they had access to all their news archives. So they were able to pull footage of how they covered things at the time, which is always fascinating. It's very different to see how something's covered at the time versus how something is covered um, 30 years later. So again, it's the kind of thing where I, I, if that was on 24 hours, I, I would have never left the house. Yeah. But yeah, a segment that I saw <laughs> on Through the Decades was, a, that took place in 1988, because in 1988, they actually had a summit where Ronald Reagan went to Moscow to meet with Gorbachev. My mother and I were actually there that summer at the same time, because that was right after Gorbachev comes to power. And when Gorbachev comes to power, he suddenly makes it legal for people who had previously immigrated from the Soviet Union to go back. Before that, well, let's put it this way. Before that, it was legal. We could have gone back, but the odds of us being allowed to leave again were rather minuscule. So... But mm-hmm. in 1988, Gorbachev promised, oh, you can come, you can go. It'll be great. It's wonderful. Please spend your dollars. So my mother and I were actually there in 1988. Since we were legally Americans by that point, we were staying in the same hotel as all, most of the news crews. My mother walked up to a tall man, tugged him on the sleeve and said, excuse me, are you Tom Brokaw? He said, yes. And my mother <laughs> said, thank you. So that was, that was oh. our moment. But <laughs> in a similar vein, there was a man who had been a Soviet prisoner of war during World War II. And he had worked with an American um, captain, I believe it was, don't hold me to the rank, but if some an American, because the situation was there were prison camps that had American and English and Soviet prisoners of war, but because the Soviets were not signatories to the Geneva Convention, 
the Soviets were kept separate and they could be treated much, much more harshly. The Red Cross didn't have to visit them. They could actually work them, mm -hmm. which they couldn't work the other ones. There's a reason for those who are into this sort of thing that Hogan's Heroes didn't have Soviet prisoners of war. I mean, I don't know if they actually gave it that much thought, but yes, you could have a prison camp where you had Americans, English, French, all of that, but you likely wouldn't have had Soviets there because of that, of that detail. And so this Soviet soldier who had worked with an American soldier during the war, went up to where the reporters were in Moscow. We're now back to uh, Moscow in 1988 and was going around trying to find a reporter who would listen to him. And eventually he found Charles Kuralt and he told Charles Kuralt the story and he had memorized the name of the American soldiers that he had worked with. So he gave those names to Charles Kuralt. And when Charles Kuralt came back to the United States, he found some of those soldiers. And he was able to reunite the Soviet soldier with the American soldiers who'd saved his life during the war. And in fact, in um, My Mother's Secret, a novel of the Jewish Autonomous Region, because it's published by um, a micro-publisher called History Through Fiction, where it's very big on documenting the, um, the real history, in the back of the book, after you finish the story, there is actually details on where you can find this and I actually have the link so oh, you fun. can go and you can watch this segment and you can see decades and mm -hmm. as, as history fans you too will be sucked down the rabbit hole <laughs> you can watch the actual segment and so coming around again to your questions um is that watching that segment on de decades really inspired me to do more research on the kind of collaboration that you had between the soviets and the americans during world war ii now of course about five percent of those soviet soldiers were then sent to siberia or executed once they came back to the soviet union for fraternizing with americans but that's a separate part of the story yikes wow as a Jewish refugee from Odessa, USSR, immigrating to the U.S. in 1977, can you draw on the parallels with the current political situation? Wow. Do you really want me to? Because <laughs> <laughs> you sure you want to take a moment, maybe think about it? <laughs> you know, I, I think originally you had uh, reached out to us and we had this question in our original email. And at the time... Uh, things were a little bit they different. Were. Um, we are recording this on, in the end of November. Um, and obviously some horrible things have happened in the last uh, month. So month and two months, it's been like 50 days. Uh, I don't know. How do we feel about this? Well, <laughs> do we want to go down this road? Let, let me start with, it is always astounding how human beings can find to torture other human beings mm -hmm. in the vaguest sense. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that I, a few weeks ago, spoke with someone who had just come from Odessa now, and she informed me that her mother is still there and that they're being bombed every mm -hmm. night in Odessa. Mm -hmm. And they're going after not even viable military targets. I mean, Odessa is a, is a warm water port. But you do not conquer a warm water port by bombing theaters and other historical sites. So yeah. it's just at this point, it's, it's a terror bombing. So I don't know when this will run. As you said, we're recording this at the end of November and things will change probably dozens of times mm -hmm. everywhere in the world. But yeah. As I said, in a nice broad sense of how human beings never run out of ways to uh, torment other human beings. It's pretty awful. 
It is. And, and it always just shocks me. Just like, you know, you think about it in the terms of history and you're like, oh man, we just didn't know enough back then, you know, but it's still happening today. So it's not anything having to do with we, knowing. We did, because here's something, here's an example. The New York Times in 1930, I want to say four, I could mm-hmm. be wrong. No, lower, earlier than that, sorry. The date will probably be wrong. But the New York Times won a Pulitzer Prize for writing about how there was no man-made famine in Ukraine. Wow. And there was a man-made famine in Ukraine that was created specifically by Stalin oh in order goodness. to drive out, as I mentioned, some of the people who were landowners and hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of people died. And the New York Times won a Pulitzer for their story oh. on how it was all propaganda. So to suggest that anything <sighs> is new today, we might have more media sources, but in people knew. Just yeah. like people knew during World War II in the New York... Again, I don't mean to be specifically picking on the New York Times, but the New York Times calls itself the paper of record. So let's address the New York Times. The New York Times deliberately did not publish news about the concentration camps because they did not want to be accused of running anti-German propaganda. So we we didn't have... As I think you have a lot of this going on yeah. today, no, that's too. What I'm we uh, didn't have as many outlets. Right. Mm-hmm. No, let's say people knew. Gatekeepers knew. Right. Yeah. I mean the the I, I I guess there's there's no upside, but there is you know right now we do have different forms of getting gathering right. news, and um, we we have the option to search out sources on our we own. We do, but deep fakes um, terrify me. I used to work in TV. Yeah. I know how video can be manipulated. So I'm actually mm-hmm. much more to, everyone's terrified of AI. AI, I don't know if any of you have tried it, but if you throw some words, what comes out is word salad. I'm not afraid of um, AI as far as yeah. writing goes today, maybe 10 years from now. But having worked in video since the early 90s, even then you can take people out of images, which actually the Soviets were very fond of, t- removing people from photographs but right now somebody can put up a video that was shot on their phone which is wonderful the fact mm-hmm. that we have so many citizen reporters on the ground but cameras are selling their features of you can erase so and so from the picture there's a commercial running right now this is for your vacation photos you can erase that person who photobombed well okay that's your vacation photos but what about if you're putting up news photos or you right. can pop somebody in and there's no way to tell so i am a huge fan of more access to the media yes. i will never say we should limit access in any way but what really terrifies me is i know how trivially easy my kid i have you know i have 3 kids 20 24, 20, and 16. My 16 year old can edit video on her computer that when I first started in TV, we would have needed an entire room for. And she can pop, mm-hmm. she can put me on the moon landing. Yep. It's that simple yeah. now. And that's what scares me. I think that's pretty terrifying as well. It is scary. Yeah. So, what message do you hope that readers will take away from your book? You know, that's, that's part of it. when I get asked a question like that, I'm like, do I go with really pretentious? Do I go with really flip? I'm actually going to tell you the truth. Oh, thank you. So, um, 
Um, I've, I've lived a lot of lives. And at one point I spent a lot of time on airplanes. I used to work for ABC Sports and their figure skating coverage. And so I would fly all over the place and it was great. It was wonderful. I mean, I was in Nagano for the 1998 Olympics. I've been all over the world. So interestingly enough, I hate planes. I hate being on planes. I hate breathing on planes. I hate sitting on planes. I'm not afraid to fly. I'm not afraid that the, it's not a fear of flying. Yeah. It's a hatred of sitting in a tight, uncomfortable seat, breathing recycled air yeah. and, uh, you know, yeah. trying to strategize how to go to the bathroom because, you know, what if that person gets up and yes. I have to stand and look, <laughs> mm-hmm. the food cart is in the way, so I can't go now. So I hate the flying yep. experience. I'm not afraid of flying. So at the time that I started writing, um, My Mother's Secret, a novel of the Jewish autonomous region is my 18th published book. So at the time that I started writing, this was my ambition. I wanted to write what I called airplane books. Hmm. And my definition of that is a book that makes a 10 hour plane ride feel like a six hour plane ride. (laughs) So, you know, when you talk Mm -hmm. about what can you contribute to society, I do things, I try to do things, I volunteer, I give money, you know, I do all of that. But I think my biggest contribution to society with my books is that if you're stuck on a horrible plane flight, my book is good enough that it makes a 10-hour flight feel like a six-hour flight. I love that. (laughs) I love that too. I hate 10-hour flights too, by the way. Also not afraid of flying. I just hate the the bathroom thing is the worst. I want to be like, I don't want anyone to bother me while I'm sitting there, but you know, you're going to be bothered the whole time because you're in a row with strangers. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the kid kicking the seat yes, behind. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing all your fascinating answers with us. Before we get into the next stage of our show, which is one of our favorites, three fun facts, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Hello there, history books and wine lovers. Your host, Eliza Knight here. As you know, one of the reasons Lori and I started this podcast was our love of wine, history, and books. And guess what? I'm not just a podcast host. I'm an author too. My latest historical fiction novel, starring Adela Stare, delves into the life of Adela Stare, who served up smiles and love both on and off the stage, with and without her also famous brother, Fred Astaire, along with a determined young dancer with rags-to-riches dreams. Booklist Reviews says starring Adele Astaire has inviting characters inhabiting a richly described environment. The novel follows two women as they fall in love, survive terrible losses, and eventually find a way to stand on their own two feet. An intriguing piece of historical fiction that will engage readers and bring to light a rapidly changing world through the eyes of an early 20th century star. American Dancer Magazine says that I am a master of my craft, that I have captured Fred Astaire's work ethic, Adele's happy-go-lucky attitude, and the world happenings around their love of dance, rise to international fame, separation, and family lives. The reviewer also says, I've expertly intertwined history and fiction to bring to life the forgotten, enchanting performer who captured the American and European hearts before finding love and moving on to a lavish but difficult life that was completely affected by World War II. I am confident that you too will love starring Adele Astaire, and I do hope you enjoy the book. Visit my website, elizanight.com, for more details.
Hi there, History Books and Wine listeners. Thanks for tuning in to our show. I'm one of your hosts, Lori Ann Bailey. Not only am I a podcaster, but I also write sweeping historical romances that will take you back in time and whisk you away on an adventure with action, intrigue, suspense, warring clans, tested loyalties, and love conquering all. My Highland Pride series follows the Cameron clan in 17th century Highlands when Scotland was fighting for their independence and honor and family were prized above all. Highland Deception, the first novel in the five book series, won the National Reader's Choice Award and Holt Medallion for Best First Book and Best Historical. The entire Highland Pride series is available in print, ebook, or audio. For more information on how you can be swept away on my hero and heroine's journeys of growth and discovering their destinies in historic Scotland, visit my website at laurieannbailey.com. back. So Alina, why don't you tell us three fun facts you discovered from your research? Well, I don't know if you can actually use fun and facts when you're talking about, <laughs> um, you know, Stalin and yeah. Hitler and the true, Great Terror true, true. Yeah. So that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like fascinating. That yeah. works. <laughs> well, the first one was work. the one that I've already mentioned about how Soviets were not signatory to the Geneva Convention, because that actually is something I wasn't aware of. And that mm-hmm. really changed mm-hmm the circumstances. Um, The second one is I knew that at one point um, when um, Jews were first allowed to leave the Soviet Union um, because of the Jackson-Bannock Amendment, so actually um, the immigration of Jews was tied to the export of wheat from Mm. the United States. I like to tell my husband that Mm. I was traded for wheat and that's why he (laughs) Mm -hmm. has me now. Um, You had permission to leave, but one of the things that they instituted was called the Diploma Tax, which basically meant, well, the Soviet Union paid for your education, so you can't leave until you pay it back. Oh, so that Mm. was a diploma tax. It was eventually removed, but it was there at the beginning. So on the one hand, you had to uh, pay to get out. Mm-hmm. But what I also learned when researching for My Mother's Secret, a novel of the Jewish Autonomous Region, was that in order to move to the Jewish Autonomous Regions, because they were actively recruiting people to move not just from other parts of the Soviet Union, but from Western Europe, mm-hmm. from South America, from North America, you had to pay. So there were mm-hmm. Americans, American Jews, who sold all their property in the U.S. in order to be able to pay the fee mm-hmm. to move to the Jewish Jewish autonomous region. So let's look at this. You had to pay to move in. You had to pay to leave. That sounds awfully capitalist to yeah. me, doesn't it? For for yeah. a wonderful communist utopia, they sure did like to fleece you of your money, didn't mm-hmm. they? So, so that's my second fact. And my third fascinating, not fun <laughs> fact, is that at one point, I believe it was in 1936, because of the Americans that had moved to Virabajan and they actually were in positions of authority there, is that one of them was removed um, on all sorts of charges. You know, Stalin loved his charges. You're a traitor, you're um, a bourgeois nationalist, you're a rootless cosmopolitan. But so the head of the village Soviet and his wife were removed and arrested. And his wife was charged 
with, I believe, the most Jewish crime of all time, trying to poison Lazar Kaganovich, a member of the Central Committee, with gefilte fish. Oh, <laughs> did not see that coming. <laughs> so, so that 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 is actually a fun factoid. It was probably yes. not fun for the people arrested, but it is a fun factoid. That is so funny. my three fun factoids. Those were great. Thank you. So, so I just have to mention my my husband is Jewish, and that is the one thing that I have not tried, <laughs> and I cannot bring myself to try gefilte fish. I mean, anything else I'm game for. Well, my, my American non-Jewish African-American husband, we will we'll be celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary in January. Congratulations. So at the beginning of our relationship, thank you. At the beginning of our relationship, borscht was out of the question. We've now oh, really? gotten him to the point where my husband will eat borscht. That's so funny. you never know, Lori, gefilte fish could be yep. in your future. <laughs> We'll see about that. <laughs> I'll eat borscht. I've had that before. <laughs> in Ukraine, actually, and it was delicious. Well, there's two types. There's Russian borscht, which has meat in it, and hmm. Ukrainian borscht that usually does not. So which one do you... I, I think this is the one that had the beets. Yeah. Well, they, they both have beets. The question... Do they? Okay. No, they... But beets, it was beets delicious. Beets is the key, is the key staple. When actually my parents took my son, when he was... My oldest son, when he was 13, they took him to Odessa and Moscow, and he found this one restaurant, apparently, I think it was called Yolki Palki, where he was in love with the borscht, and so he oh, borscht That's so cute. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing those fun facts. Is there anything else you would like to share about your book, My Mother's Secret? Well, I don't know. It's been out for a year. I've gotten really good feedback on it. Okay, here's here's something. Here's another fun fact to share. So the bulk of the story takes place in the 1930s and in the 1940s, as I said. But the framing device is in the 1980s. It actually takes place in San Francisco, which is where I grew up. And so I'm very familiar mm-hmm. with San Francisco of the 1980s. And I kept calling that the modern section (laughs) until someone pointed out to me that the definition of historical fiction is 50 years prior to the publication date. That's sort of what people use to differentiate historical fiction from contemporary fiction in the 1980s are almost 50 years ago. It's getting close. It's quite there. So the idea that my modern section (laughs) is also historical is something I'm working to process at this time. <laughs> yeah, I'm working to process that I, too. I think you can still call it <laughs> yeah. modern. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we are writers, but we're also readers, and we always love to know what our guests are reading. Okay, so I was prepared for this question, and I read lots of books simultaneously. Same. So I actually have, this is this is if I open my Kindle right now, I've become a convert to Kindle because you know how you never know what mood you're going to yep. be in to read at a given day. This yeah. way, at least, you know, wherever I go, whether it's on the plane, hours, or being forced to wait, I don't know, five minutes at a restaurant, either way, <laughs> I have to pull out my book, right? Yes. Because I have to read. So the beauty of Kindle, not only is it light, but I have lots of choices. So at the moment, I'm reading. This is a combination of things I'm reading. I'm reading The Neighbors We Want, which is a domestic thriller. Ooh. I'm reading a mm. nonfiction book about the rise of enlightened sexism, Ooh. which is very interesting because mm. I love that kind of media analysis. I'm reading Muppets in Moscow, which oh, is by a woman who was in charge of uh, doing 
Sesame Street, actually creating Ulyssa Sazam, um, a Russian language version of Sesame Street in Moscow. Oh, I'm cool. reading the originals. Mm-hmm. Which is a book about not connected to the show about vampires mm-hmm. that my kids like, but yeah. the original about how to um, not only be better at creative thinking, but how to convey your creative ideas oh, to others. Yeah. I think is critical. Oh, I love that. Um, I'm reading a uh, biography of Jane Campion, the director who did The Piano oh, okay. and um, other mm-hmm. movies. Um, I just read a roundup of uh, 100 horror novels that Ooh. you should read before you're murdered. So, <laughs> <laughs> fun titles. But those are just some of the books I have in progress right now. Um, on deck is um, actually no, these are ones I finished. Laura Lippman's Prom Mom and Or history of the movie airplane you know and don't call me Shirley yeah Um, so those are just Mm -hmm. some of the books that um, I'm either reading have just finished reading um, or am looking forward to reading so that that's just what's on my Kindle right now I love that that's a great list list. that was awesome so where can (laughs) listeners and readers find you so I'm all over the place. I am a bit, some might say, aggressive with my <laughs> um, social media and my marketing. My website is alinaadams.com. I am on Instagram as I am Alina Adams. I am on that um, other social media site whose name has been changed, so I don't know what to call it anymore, as I am Alina Adams. And I am on Facebook as both Alina Adams Media and as my real name, see if people can get this, Alina Sivarinovsky. Wickham. So I, uh, I love to hear from people. And actually my email even easier is alinaadams and gmail.com. And if people reach out to me there, they can be added to my mailing list, which I have. Also, one of the things I've been doing is if people want to sign book plate, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, one of the things I learned during the pandemic is, you know, to sort of improvise. And so what I can do is I can put a book plate in the physical mail and then you can stick it in your book and we can pretend we had a meaningful human interaction even though we really didn't. So I am all over the place and I love to hear from people. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Yes, this has been wonderful. Yes, I've enjoyed uh, chatting with you and and learning about your book and your process and and the history Mm -hmm. behind it. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed today's episode with our guest, Alina Adams. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the rest of this season's lineup. Coming up, we have guest authors Anna Lee Huber, Kate Quinn, and Janie Ching joining us. We will also have a happy hour coming up on the friendship between Ella Fitzgerald and Marilyn Monroe. Bye. Thank you. Bye. For more information about today's episode, click on the show notes. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HistoryBKSWine for additional historical tidbits and updates. If you like what you heard today, please leave us a review. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you download your podcast. That way you're notified every time a new episode is live. Subscribes and reviews help us get noticed. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to check out our episodes published weekly on Tuesdays. Until next time. Cheers. And happy reading.